All right. Uh, I I was watching the news the other day, and I was very moved by a story. I was compelled by this story I saw at the Waymo um, warehouse in South Phoenix. There was a one of the electric vehicles caught on fire. There were about 60 firefighters on the scene, and a very unique way I thought of how they were going to extinguish this fire. And it made me think about this new – well, for us, it's relatively new – electric vehicles and the challenge that is happening to firefighters in order to extinguish these fires. So I reached out. And joining us right now is Tim Kreiss. He is an assistant fire chief with Phoenix Fire. Um, chief, welcome to the show. Oh, proud to be here. Thank you for your, thanks for having me. Let's talk about uh, what happened at that scene. There were about 60 firefighters that were deployed at that scene. They had to use a forklift to get it into a dumpster, cover it with wet sand. Is, this, is that kind of the standard protocol when something like this happens with an EV? Well, it is for us. Certainly, the Phoenix Fire Department has always been committed to being a progressive organization. Our expectation is that our firefighters are the best firefighters in the world. They prove that and show me that every day. Emerging technologies and and evolving our policies to deal with them is nothing new for Phoenix Fire. I recall having conversations and focusing on things like this back 10, 12 years ago when we started to see photovoltaics really pop up around the country and certainly here in Phoenix. But for us, that particular incident was pretty complex because on one hand, you have a vehicle that's on fire in a building. The sprinkler system in the building, well-designed, did what it was supposed to do to contain that fire. The firefighters did an excellent job. They had pre-planned that building. We've done a lot of training on how to deal with electric vehicle fires. This one was a little different because it was in a building. But they were able to address life safety, get the building evacuated, control the fire, had a plan to bring the vehicle out safely and put it into a dumpster that we brought in with some sand on the bottom, cover it with sand, and and we were able to get it done and get it out of there. How did the progress of this happen? Where uh, How did it go from trying to just use thousands or hundreds of gallons of water on a fire like this? How did it progress to where it is now where it's in a dumpster and wet sand? What was it that got you to the point that right now this is best practices? Well, that's a great question, Mike, and it's a lot of research. So when we look at anything changing in our world, we're looking at it from the perspective of emergency service delivery, fire prevention and code enforcement, public education, and most of all, training. So we have some of the best fire protection engineers, certainly the best firefighters on the Phoenix Fire Department. We participate in national committees, and we're leading some of those national committees, NFPA 855 and others. So we've done a tremendous amount of research in determining what the best practices are for handling these incidents. Of course, we understand that with emerging technology, there's going to be lessons learned, and the Phoenix Fire Department is committed to continuing to learn those lessons and evolve our policies. Uh, but uh, the policies that we've come up with and, and utilizing the sand, we feel like that's a pretty good uh, agent to encapsulate those fires and keep them from reigniting. Certainly the process of thermal runaway that can occur with any lithium-ion battery device, whether it's an electric vehicle or a hoverboard or a, uh, one of those electric bikes, e-bikes, and stuff like this. Um, that is a, a risk when the batteries are abused and those sorts of things happen. Uh, but the sand works pretty well for us. One of the things that we we're looking at, different folks around the world are doing some different things with them. What I don't want to have is a fire incident that we're not prepared to handle. Uh, electric vehicle that's in thermal runaway that continues to reignite for days and days and days. Those are not up to the standards that I would expect for the Phoenix Fire Department. So our command staff and our engineers and everybody work together to come up with this plan and this policy, and it seems to be working very well for us. 
Tim Kreis is joining us. He is a, a, an assistant fire chief of operations division for the Phoenix Fire Department. Um, so let's talk about the hazard of this because uh, in my industry, I was in the construction industry for a long time. We always had to have updated MSDS sheets on material safety data sheets on, on file so that if there was an incident, the fire department knew what chemicals they were dealing with. What unique um, – challenges does this for you in a closed-in building with the carcinogens and the hazardous uh, materials there what challenges that pose for firefighters well that's an excellent question so the first thing for us is is really the smoke that you're sort of describing so when a lithium-ion battery goes into a process of thermal runaway uh, first thing that we're looking at is really why that can occur and that could occur because the chemistry of the battery wasn't designed very well in this country, we really, really want folks to be buying consumer products that are underwriter laboratories validated. So that's a big deal for us. Uh, but specific to the hazards that come with them, uh, you've got the toxic gases that come out, hydrogen cyanide, uh, carbon dioxide, uh, and certainly others that can be emitted. Hydrogen gas can be emitted from those batteries when they're going through that process of thermal runaway. So for us, making sure that we're addressing life safety first and foremost in that incident, that our firefighters have the best turnouts and training uh, to protect them from those hazards. And then getting our hazardous materials experts out there to do the air monitoring and those sorts of things so we can make calculated decisions that are aligned with our mission as an organization. Now, specifically in the fire that I watched on TV, I saw the news coverage of, there were about 60 firefighters at this Waymo warehouse. Is that a standard kind of deployment for a fire like this of 60 firefighters? And if that's the case, do you have the staffing at Phoenix Fire to deal with these if there's multiple issues that are going on? And we know that vehicle fires happen fairly often in our hot environment. Is it going to take that kind of manpower for each one of those? Well, that's a great question. So for us on the Phoenix Fire Department, managing a, a traditional gasoline car fire is something that we do every day. We're really, really good at it. Certainly, electric vehicle fires pose some different challenges. And when electric vehicle fires or even a gasoline fire occurs in a building, that's a particularly challenging incident. Another thing that, that I want to underscore here for us as a fire department, for us to uh, achieve our mission of addressing life safety uh, and being able to 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 respond and react to surprises that may occur to us uh, in the smoke and, and responding to those fire incidents, those sorts of things. We also have a little bit of a tactical reserve. So unlike a house fire that they're just you just they're bread and butter sort of structure fire incident that we're going to deal with, we're going to send three engines, a ladder, a battalion chief, and an ambulance to that. And when you do the math on the amount of personnel we're sending that incident, you're looking at about 20. For a commercial building fire, uh, you're sending more folks to be able to, to address the things that we need to address uh, for an electric vehicle fire inside of a commercial building, you can see how the complexity is raised. Uh, but moving forward for us, um, we're looking to become more and more efficient in our resource deployment to electric vehicle fires. I was very impressed with the way things came together the other day at that facility, as we've discussed here. Uh, but we're going to continue to uh, challenge the status quo and grow as an organization. Chief, I appreciate the information because I, I talked about this before I had any information about it. And my curiosity was, are we prepared as we get more and more EVs on the street? Are we prepared? Are you prepared as a fire department? But us as citizens, are we prepared as a city for more of these incidents happening? Would you say that you are prepared and staffed to, and have the equipment you need to uh, make sure this is done effectively every time? Well, I can tell you this. The uh, Phoenix Fire Department is not uh, 
our ability to respond and react to emerging technologies in the in the community is something that we're very good at on the Phoenix Fire Department. We've done training on electric vehicle fires for uh, the last two years. Our training continues to evolve. Uh, just recently, through a process with our regional partners, we updated all of our procedures for micro-mobility devices, battery energy storage systems, photovoltaics and solar systems that exist out there, um, electric vehicle fires. So we're continuing to get better at these things all the time. Uh, but it's larger than just the emergency response uh, pieces here, Mike. So for us, the fire prevention and code enforcement piece is really, really big. So a couple of years ago now, uh, the fire marshal's office, again, we've got amazing folks on the Phoenix Fire Department. They wrote the codes that regulate battery energy storage systems in structures, and those codes have spread across the valley and are very much leading the country and leading the world as best practices for how to handle these sorts of things. We're extremely proud of that. Another piece of this that's really important from my perspective, certainly the fire chief's perspective, and to be approaching these things from a comprehensive sort of look for public safety and community safety safety is something as important as public education. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about lithium-ion batteries, it's a broader picture than just electric vehicles or energy storage systems, Tesla walls, and these sorts of things. It's cell phones and laptop computers and drills and hoverboards and electric bikes and all these sorts of things. So for folks to know how important it is to make sure that they're buying devices that are UL listed, making sure that they're following the manufacturer's instruction for charging, recognizing if one of those batteries is going into something that could potentially be dangerous, like swelling and these sorts of things, to get those devices out of the home. Certainly if they're off-gassing, or certainly if they catch on fire, evacuating the area and calling 911, utilizing the, the charging cords that those devices came with, keeping them out of direct sunlight, keeping your cell phones out of hot vehicles. All those sorts of things are really important for the communities to understand as well. Chief, I really appreciate the information and the time today, and uh, I hope you'll pass along our thank you for all the hard work the fire department does to keep us all safe, and uh, we appreciate the time today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, sir, and I will pass it along. It's an honor. All right. Thanks, uh, thanks, Chief. That is Chief uh, Tim Christ with the Phoenix uh, Fire Department. Coming up in a moment, we'll catch you up on the biggest news stories with Did You Hear This? Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, time to catch you up on the headlines. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Lauren Heike's killer has been caught. Phoenix police say a lot of tips came in, and just a day later, that is when they showed up to this neighborhood and took this suspect into custody, saying that they, quote, have their guy. He told police about an internal struggle with his sexuality and was, quote, concerned about the salvation of his soul due to his thoughts, end quote. He is now being held on a million-dollar cash bond. He had a prior arrest that got plead down. Is the early release where we, as a public safety concern, begin our questioning? Yeah, I, I wonder. I think we have to start there. I think we have to start with what his mental health was back then. Were there concerns about his mental health? If there were, why was there not counseling that was ordered if there wasn't? Uh, I think a big part of that also is, is what did he do to earn parole or I should say probation? Because we know that not only did he get time served for the time he spent in jail during his time before he pleaded guilty, but he also then was allowed to leave early and is on probation. I think that's a very basic place to start with this um, because 
is this is the we we as a society deserve answers, but this family deserves justice. Last night at a Phoenix uh, Union school board meeting, they made an interesting decision. The school board members, they voted four to two against that student safety committee's recommendation made last month to bring those school resource officers back. So the safety committee that was commissioned told them SROs need to make a comeback. And they just essentially said, "Nah, we're good. Are we living in the upside down? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is upside down. And I think what we have here is they say they can revisit and they will revisit it in June at their next meeting. But unless the public really puts a lot of pressure on the district, this is going to continue to happen. I've seen the pictures. I have the pictures. I've got video of guns and knives and fights on campuses at Phoenix Union High School districts. We do know that at least two bags of fentanyl have been taken away from a student and turned over to the police. At what point do you say they deserve better in the schools? All right, you are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day to catch up on the headlines. In COVID news, the WHO has declared the health emergency over. It's time for countries to transition from emergency mode to managing COVID-19 alongside other infectious diseases. The CDC director has also announced she will be stepping down from her position, citing a transition from the pandemic. How do you feel about these decisions? Yeah, I just think that, you know, when you look at the guesswork that was done, we knew some of it was going to be that. This was brand new to everybody, but it was the political vitriol that if you were on one side of this or the other, that's the part of it we didn't need to do. The shutdowns were bad enough. That was a part of whether it was necessary or not. The schools, for as long as they were closed, now is a time when we should be going back and doing a thorough debrief on how it was handled, what was done, what the science said, and make sure we're better prepared when the next public emergency happens. Tonight, game three for the Phoenix Suns in the second round of the playoffs. What are your predictions for how the game will go? Will we see a game five? Yeah, we're definitely we're going to see definitely more than that. I think the Phoenix Suns come out prepared tonight. I think Devin Booker is still uh, the best player on the floor just about any given time. He's going to show how good he is. Uh, this is where KD earns his money because he's been to the finals. He's a champion. I think that the Phoenix Suns' backs are against the wall. They're at home tonight, and I think they pull off a big win. All right, that's Did You Hear This for another day. Great job, Jess. Thank you, Um, sir. If you're just getting in the car, we've got details of the suspect arrested in this horrible murder in the East Valley. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Nikki Merrick is our latest qualifier for Suns playoff tickets. Uh, We are calling names. We called one today in the 11 a.m. hour. Obviously, they'll be doing another one in the 4 p.m. hour to get registered. One of those people will win tickets to see the Suns in a playoff game against the Denver Nuggets. If you'd like to get on that list of people that qualify, just text the word TICKET to 411923. That's TICKET to 411923. Just got an email. Aerosmith tickets are on sale at the Footprint Center. Bring, and take out a loan. Just let me put it that way. Just take out a loan. If you want to get close to the stage, just plan on taking out a loan. I was, ooh, steep is what I'm going to say. Steep is the price. Um, 
If you are just getting in the car, maybe heading to lunch, and you have kind of been hearing bits of what's going on with this arrest that happened today, uh, there is a 22-year-old man named Zion William Teasley who was arrested. Zion Teasley was arrested for the murder of this young girl in uh, in the northeast part of Phoenix, and uh, her name was Lauren Heike. And she was 29 years old, and her family put out a plea for someone to help, and and the Phoenix Police Department worked diligently to figure out who this young man is. And to give you a little background on him, he's 22 years old. He had been in prison. He had been in prison or jail. I don't know if you ever made it to the prison system, but he's definitely in jail. Um, He was arrested, I believe, in 2020. For a multitude of charges. And this is what's interesting to me about all of this. And I, I have more questions than, than answers. Um, but he was originally arrested for one count of burglary, a count of armed robbery with a deadly weapon, four counts of robbery, five counts of kidnapping, one count of aggravated assault, and one count of disorderly conduct with weapons. Um, he ended up pleading to disorderly conduct, armed robbery, and one count of robbery. So all of those charges were condensed. He was then sentenced to three years, but he was given time served and then let out early and was on active probation. And we know that because the probation department was contacted when he became the suspect. He was a United States Marine, and there's some confusion in my mind, and I'm sure it's going to be easily explained of how he could be at 22 years old now. He had already spent time in jail for a something that happened in 2020, even if he went at 18 years old, how long did he actually serve in the Marine Corps? And and did was he discharged? Was, did something happen? Because it, the math doesn't seem to add up for me. But he was a Marine. But what's interesting is what he told the police. Um, the, the autopsy report is a lot of this information is disturbing. But she was stabbed 15 times. She had defensive wounds on her hands and on her forearms. She had abrasions on parts of her body. Um, when he was uh, taken into custody... Um, uh, he was on probation in Maricopa County. Records also indicate he listed his residence close to where this happened. Um, uh, he was uh, read his Miranda warnings, and he understood uh, his rights. During the interview, he spoke about his life growing up as a Christian and his internal struggle with his own sexuality, and he was concerned about the salvation of his soul due to his thoughts. He also told the police that he wanted, when, when shown a picture of her, he said, he wanted to look like her. Um, so there is, we don't, I don't know. He denied if he wasn't sure if he'd ever met her before or come in contact with her, but we don't know. There's a, the police department will do a thorough investigation into any connection between the two of them. Was he following her on social media? Had he seen her in the neighborhood before? Had he seen her on the hiking trail before? Um, whatever. We're going to find out if there was more to this because when asked about it being premeditated, he said, someone like me, I would never do something like that premeditated. If I did something like that, it would not be premeditated meditated. Um, But the disturbing parts of this continue to get worse and worse. There are so many more questions that I have than I have answers. And I think I'm, I'm asking the questions that the community wants to have. The family has different questions, I would I would imagine. One of them would be what were the signs that this young man was as angry and disturbed as he appears to be? And people in his family must have known. You don't snap and stab someone 15 times on a hiking trail. 
that 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 that's not something that's something that builds. If you've been arrested for all of these other violent criminal charges like armed robbery with a deadly weapon and kidnapping, and we don't know the circumstances of what that kidnapping is. Did he actually go grab five people? Did he rob a place where the five were there and hold them against their will? So kidnapping was a part of it. But the other thing here is going back to that original arrest and the pleading down to a much, much, much lesser charge is what he ended up pleading to. What were the circumstances of that? Was his mental health a part of that plea agreement? And if it was, was there mandatory counseling that was connected? Because not only did they plead it down to only three years in prison, they gave him credit for time served and they let him out early. So why did they do that? Was there a mandatory counseling protocol? Were there signs of him being disturbed like it appears he is? This appears to be a very disturbed young man at 22 years old to just attack somebody on a hiking trail that he says he didn't know. He said he wanted to look like her. Um, he said that he struggled with his sexuality and it, that he was worried about the salvation of his soul because of his thoughts. And yet he would commit an act of murder. There is so much here to dig out. But for the people of, of Arizona, this is another one of those questions. And I, I'm not one. I, I keep saying this all morning long. I am not someone that Monday morning quarterbacks or jumps to conclusions. But that doesn't mean we should not be asking questions. We absolutely should be asking questions. What's he doing out of prison? If he committed acts that led to all of those charges originally, what in the world is the reason you would plead it down to three years? Why would you give him time served? The other part of it has to do with mental health. This is another fair question. If he was showing signs of being mentally disturbed back then, why wasn't that intervention because his crimes involved weapons? Why weren't they at that time forcing him and making him? You know, there have been people that have committed horrible crimes that the courts have said they're unable to stand trial because they're mentally incapable. Jared Loeffner with the shootings in Tucson. John Hinckley Jr., the man who shot Ronald Reagan, spent decades in a mental health facility. These are valuable and valid questions that we all deserve answers to. Will we get those answers? Um, I've been talking about schools quite a bit, and there's a couple of stories I covered today. But I've got an angle from what you will not believe when it comes to schools. Um, A teacher that was criticized, chastised in emails because of uh, uh, Cinco de Mayo. I'm going to tell you what was said and what this teacher was told in an email exchange. It's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, I talk about schools and the politics of education, which I hate. I love education. I love educators. I just had the privilege of going to Cherokee Elementary School and talking about a re- career in radio and, and have it let kids ask questions and talking, engaging with these fourth graders was so much fun. Talking sports and who's your favorite athlete and what's your favorite movie and questions a fourth grader would ask. I love those kind of interactions. I have the utmost respect for the men and women who teach in our school systems and the hard work that they do. What I hate is the politics of education. 
education. I've talked earlier today about the Phoenix Union High School District rejecting school resource officers against a safety committee recommendation. Now they can take it up again in June and they're covering themselves by saying that. But we know that violence in schools is still a huge issue. It is a huge issue. And we know that kids are bringing guns and knives. I just got another email about a possible report against uh, Trevor Brown and some other Phoenix school districts where there's an email going on. Hey, we have social media threats, but we know kids are bringing weapons to school. There are guns. I've seen pictures. They've seen pictures. and not just me. The administrators are seeing pictures. Administrators are taking guns. and yet you're not hearing about it. And they're saying no to school resource officers. A couple of bags of fentanyl. Fentanyl. You've got kids in a high school and there's fentanyl in the school. Administrator taking bags of fentanyl away from people and turning them over to the police. What are we doing? I talked about Arizona Christian University, the politics here with the Washington Elementary School District caving in because they were going to get creamed in a lawsuit. So they agreed to pay $25,000 in legal expenses and have ACU education students back in their classrooms. That political mess that was there. But this one quite possibly could be the funniest example so far of the nonsense in schools. I'm not going to go into detail, but I've been forwarded an email exchange between a teacher in the Phoenix Union District and some staff on a whole different set of issues. And this teacher that's been sent this email says in her email, by the way, enjoy Cinco de Mayo. It's part of an email, blah, 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 do this, do this. Thanks. This is what I had. Thanks for this. I appreciate that. Oh, and enjoy Cinco de Mayo. The response, please refrain from using enjoy Cinco de Mayo with employees. It can be viewed as a microaggression. Just let it. It's Cinco de Mayo, right? If I say to someone, enjoy Cinco de Mayo, I thought that's what we did on Cinco de Mayo. I thought today is the day to enjoy. Please refrain from using enjoy Cinco de Mayo with employees. It can be viewed as a microaggression. I've got the entire email exchange here. I'm not going to divulge who it is or who even sent me the email because it wasn't the the person involved in the exchange. But this is, again, part of the nonsense. If you're a teacher in the school district, this is some of the nonsense that drives teachers out. I want you to think about that innocuous statement. If you said to someone, enjoy Cinco de Mayo, you can't say that because somebody might get offended. If you get offended because someone says enjoy Cinco de Mayo, you got bigger problems. And now you got to – it's just the most mind-boggling, politically correct, woke nonsense. By the way, the Phoenix Union High School District, they call themselves the most progressive district in the country. It's on their website. The minute that you log in to the P... uh, the Phoenix Union High School District, I'm going to read it from their from their homepage. Um, the, the Phoenix Union High School District, or PXU, is one of the largest and most progressive high school districts in the United States. I have nothing – I have no axe to grind with people that are politically motivated. But if you are so slanted to one side of the political aisle in a public school, that's a problem, isn't it? 
this is that woke you now you know and now you start remembering they are not going they're not going to allow police they don't want school resource officers on campus it's starting to make sense who was in charge who are the people that led the charge of the defund the police movement when this all happened when dr Geston, who is leaving and they've got an interim uh, superintendent coming in um, and you've got the school board voting once again no matter how many guns are on their campuses how many videos are out there of fights on campuses and knives and drugs and reports from teachers of them not feeling safe they're still saying no cops makes sense now doesn't it most progressive high school districts in the united states don't say enjoy cinco de mayo it might be considered a microaggression by other employees one of the most progressive high school districts in the united states I have nothing against people that are progressives. They have a right to their political opinions. But this is the kind of stuff when you're wrong, you're wrong. And you're just wrong in this situation. Plain and simple. You are wrong in this situation. Well, we'll be back on Monday morning, beginning at 8 a.m. with another edition of the show. I hope you've got a great weekend planned. By the way, enjoy Cinco de Mayo. God bless.